the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD. And yes, I really am a doctor. I'm an MD, medical doctor. Got a degree from the University of Louisville. Oh, boy. The oldest medical school west of the Appalachians, by the way. Oldest continuous medical school. Well, you're on 860 AM, The Answer. This is a talk radio show, and we are an iHeart station as well, so pick us up on your smartphone as you roam around. We're at 877-969-8600, 877-969-8600. And I understand from Barb and Mary that uh, we have an email from one of our listeners regarding last week's show, and I'll have to pull that off of the internet as soon as I can. Just was informed a couple of days ago, didn't have time to go through it, but appreciate the response and, and the uh, support. Uh, today I'm going to jump back into a topic that is, well, close to my heart because I have in-laws in South Korea, and that's North Korea, and what are we going to do? Now, the latest Gallup polls show that people are more concerned about the economy, or not the economy, about the government and the health care. 18 to 20 percent of the people polled say their top two concerns are the government running efficiently and effectively and the resolution of the health care problem. And these things go up and down with the press, of course, but uh, there's always some influence uh, by, the, by the news establishment. But a lot of it is genuine concern from people like you and me about what direction we're taking with these things. Now, the Korean situation and our security has fallen to 1% or 2% of the people polled. So apparently it's not as big a concern as it was a few months ago. But it hasn't gone away, guys. And nuclear weapons have become a, a, an essential element of Korea's national security strategy, and it's, a, it's not going to give it up. They're not going to let go of these because they still think that they're going to be invaded by the United States and South Korea, and they want to have either a deterrent or or a first strike offensive against the South or against the Japanese. And you say, well, what's the big deal? I mean, these people have been fighting for eons with each other, the three kingdoms, the two kingdoms, the one kingdom, the Chinese, the Japanese, the Koreans, they're, they're always at it. Well, we have 
buddied up with South Korea, and they have a great deal of respect for us. And we have had special trade agreements and uh, visa and immigration packs with the South Koreans. I guess we could move all 50 million South Koreans over here and just let the North have the peninsula, but it's one hell of an infrastructure they've built there. And and if you ever have the chance to go to Seoul, it's just a gorgeous city downtown. I mean, what the South Koreans have done with that lower half of the peninsula is really remarkable. And by the way, you know, they, they've been or they were selling cheap energy to the north until things iced over again. They kind of warmed up in the 1990s and early 2000s. Uh, but uh, you can go to the DMZ, the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea. And there's humongous power lines, and they go right up to the DMZ, and then they stop. They don't go anywhere further. They don't go into North Korea anymore. Same way with the railroad line, which was being built, and there's a beautiful bridge across the little river there, and the track was to go to the North Korean capital, 100 miles north of there, and start some interaction between the two split Koreas, but it didn't go anywhere. What about the North Korean weapons program, the the, nuclear armaments and the intercontinental ballistic missiles as well as their short and intermediate range missiles. Will it be a big force? Well, probably not. I mean, it's going to cost a lot of money. And even though they are capable of generating funds, and I'll talk about that a little bit later, in spite of their relative poverty, uh, I don't think that they see that they will need a whole lot to act as a deterrent or to have the capability for a first strike if they want to take a suicide stance. And, you know, the dangers, the perils of having North Korea, a nuclear power in Northeast Asia is bound to set off a nuclear arms race among the other countries, South Korea, Japan at some point. The Japanese have already started to rearm, and they're flying military jets in support of our B-1 bombers. So even though their constitution that was fashioned after World War II said that they would remain peaceful and nonviolent and not build up a military, their new prime minister, well, he's not new anymore, Abe, has been pushing for rearmament because of the humongous threats that are just a few miles away from them with North Korea and a few hundred miles away from them with China. So they are concerned. The Chinese seem to be calming down and fairly peaceful at this point, but they're like any other big country. They're always looking to see what their advantages are and who they can be on top of. I mean, it's a little bit of a competition. Not many countries have the capabilities that China has. They and the Russians are probably the only two countries right now that can hit us with nuclear weapons. North Korea, it would appear, is at that point, too. How accurate they are, where they could strike is uncertain, but certainly the launch of their recent intercontinental ballistic missile was a successful test and looks like it can get into the upper atmosphere and make an arc and make it all the way over to the United States. So where are we going to go with this? You know, we're an impatient people. There's no doubt about that. We want things done. We want them done now. 
And it's not just liberals or conservatives or the left or the right or men or women. Almost all Americans are impatient. We want things to happen right now. And this is true not only in development and in health care and in the economy, but also in warfare. And one of the biggest problems that leaders have had in wartime is managing to keep the population of the United States at least engaged and willing to continue on in a conflict because of the impatient nature of our country. And Lincoln suffered this. He wanted to see the war end early because the North was yelling for some kind of a negotiated peace. They wanted out of the Civil War. Same way with World War II. It was difficult to keep people all engaged. And we've heard the stories of resort areas like Miami not turning off their lights at night and not going into a dark out. And, of course, it made it easy for the Japanese subs to see the outline of merchant marine ships against the coast with Miami all lit up. And Floridians wanted the war to be over right now. So the the times have not really changed in, in terms of our national psyche. So should we be concerned about North Korea? We've got, what, 320, 330 million people now in our population, and we're growing. By the end of this century, we'll probably be close to a billion if we keep growing at this rate. If we double every 50 years. So what about South Korea? Do we have any commitment? Do we have any responsibility to the South Koreans? Well, of course we do. We've invested a lot of money, time, and military into South Korea. They've become a close ally and a close working partner and a big trading partner with us. So what does a nation of 25 million need to have nuclear weapons for? That's the population size of North Korea. Well, they see us as a threat. You would think with China and Russia on their borders that they would be able to look to big brothers and say, if we're attacked by the United States, will you protect us? But you know, the North Koreans have been playing the Russians and the Chinese for 50 years now. And of course, the Russians are happy to sell them anything because they need to make money. I kind of think about our own situation with Canada. I mean, let's look at Canada. Canada is 30 million plus now. It sits on our northern border. It doesn't have a big military and it has no homegrown nuclear capabilities. And yet it's one of mom's, England's, and ours closest military partners. They've gone into conflicts with every war that England has, with Great Britain has declared in the past century that I can recall. And they've been with us in every conflict as well, much to the chagrin of the left in Canada, but they have been. But they don't need a a nuclear capability. They don't need a huge standing army. They've got us. They've got their little brother who got big on their southern and on their western borders with Alaska. And on the east, they've got mom with England. And between England and Canada, there's a water and a lot of land, Greenland and Iceland. So they're protected. 
And you would think that the North Koreans would say, well, we're well protected. We don't need to spend a whole lot of money on military and armaments. Let's get our population up to snuff. Let's feed our people. Let's build an infrastructure. So there's an institutionalized paranoia in North Korea, and we have to take that into account. We're not dealing with a rational group of people. They're not thinking like most of the world thinks. So that's going to be a big problem. And what does a nation of 25 million North Korea need with nuclear weapons? Well, you and I don't think they need them, but they're convinced they do. They think it's the only way to, to preserve their independence and not be attacked and taken over by the United States. So that fear of invasion is a justification. Well, then we feel more pressure to do something about North Korea. And we've tried negotiations, but have we tried them completely and thoroughly? I don't know. I'm not sure because I haven't been at the table and I don't know what marching orders have been given to our negotiators when they go to the table with North Korea. And I'm not saying that we've done anything wrong, but we may not have done all the right things and we're not going to be able to get them to disarm by just demanding it and saber rattling. They're not going to do that. They're going to continue on. And every time there's been an attempt without negotiations, to get them to disarm by fear, intimidation, by being adamant about what we want. They've ramped up their programs. <laughs> They've ramped up their nuclear program. They've ramped up their missile program. And obviously they have a strategy or they have some strategies they're thinking about. I mean, they may be not all that mentally healthy, but you cannot be, you can be not mentally healthy and still be bright and conniving and cunning and planning. And so what strategies would they use? Well, they could use China as they, they could use the, uh, a war with us as a way to get China to come into the war, but I'm not sure the Chinese want to take us on. I mean, they're doing well by just being friendly with us and trading. And, you know, I met the Chinese, at least some of them, and they're, they're nice people. They have voiced openly that they don't want to have a conflict with us. They've, they've had cab drivers in China tell me, we don't want to bomb you guys. And of course, I said, we're not going to bomb you. So if that's the strategy that North Korea is taking, it's it's on uh, uh unstable grounds there because I don't think they're going to be able to pull the Chinese into a major conflict. They might receive military aid and maybe if we got too close to the Chinese border, the Chinese may step in and say, Hey, don't go any further. or We're coming across the Yalu river like we did in 1951. They've also got short and intermediate range missiles in North Korea now. And so they could have a preemptive strike against the South. They could fire off one missile with a conventional weapon on it and hit a small town in South Korea. 
And if we're in a position where we are not willing to go to war and go full full force into North Korea, and that's what it would take, I mean, it wouldn't be a limited strike. One of the guys at the lunch table said, why don't we just kill Kim Jong-un with a missile like we did or we tried to do with, with Gaddafi in Libya back in the 80s? A lot of you guys probably don't remember that, but a Libyan operative bombed a a nightclub, I believe it was in Spain, and killed a bunch of American soldiers and servicemen. And Reagan said, we will respond, and it took several months, but they went in there with some missiles, and they killed his daughter and his son-in-law and other people that were part of the royal family, but he apparently escaped. It's a different situation. Libya was a country divided already. There were a lot of assets there, a lot of espionage going on. We knew a lot about the country. Uh, it was surrounded by countries that were friendly to us. But North Korea is a whole different story. I mean, there's not much coming out. I mean, this is a government that has 100,000 people essentially in concentration camps because they disagree with the government or had some minor infraction that the government took as an affront as an imperial court would 500 years ago. And that makes it difficult because people who might be assets for us are now in concentration camps and they can't get out and they're being uh, threatened and their families are being threatened. So the object may be just to force us to remove some of our more advanced military assets and capabilities from South Korea, but I'm not sure that that would work. It may just be an invitation for the North Koreans to have more incursions into the South, and they do that from time to time. They destroyed a Coast Guard vessel of South Korea's a few years ago, and Obama pleaded with the, with the South not to retaliate against the North and said that we wouldn't back them if they started a conflict. How many of the South Koreans are willing to fight? You know, there's, there's a lot of fear and reluctance, of course, but every young man has to go into the military in South Korea, and they have a huge standing army, and they've got modern assets and weapons. So... The North may want to force us to remove advanced weaponry. And certainly China would love that too. I mean, the Chinese were upset about these anti-missile missile systems we sent over, the THADs. And they wanted to see the systems. They wanted to examine them. They wanted to see if the radar was capable of tracking any of their planes or missiles. They want to know if we have any intentions of harming them. And you got to remember, the people and the government in China are not the same. And the military is also its own estate. Another tactic that the North could take would be to asymmetrically escalate the situation, and they've tried to do that off and on. They've tried to pull the South into a war by shelling an island that belongs to the South Koreans by shelling villages, and this has been going on since the 1950s. And as I 
related to you guys before. They've even dug tunnels through solid rock underneath the DMZ from North Korea into South Korea. Four have been discovered, and there's undoubtedly more. So an asymmetric escalation would be out of proportion to the threat that the South poses. Whether or not they would attack Japan, too, is another big if and certainly has some of the Japanese military thinking and scratching their heads, and they well should be. So the threats are there. They're real. And Kim Jong-un is a sociopath and a narcissist. He's killed members of his own family. He's imprisoned 100,000 people. There are no human rights. The legal system is one-sided and strict. And there's the threat of killing people's families if they disobey or try to escape or say anything that's anti-government. Tough situation. Tough situation. And you say, well, why can't we just invade uh, from the northwest? It's close to Alaska. I'm sorry, the northeast. It's close to Alaska. Rugged terrain. Rugged terrain. And the landmass, North Korea, is almost as big as is Florida. So you'd have a lot of area you'd have to cover in a hurry. You'd almost have to attack from north and south because you'd have to take out all their assets along the, the demilitarized zone. That would include tanks, artilleries, uh, weapons, artillery guns. And of course they have mobile artillery guns and they could pull those into position and they could hit close to or in Seoul. And that's 20 to 25 million people in Seoul. So that would be a mass exodus. It'd be tough. I mean, it can be done, but there would be loss of life and loss of property. No doubt about that. If we pressure the North without negotiations, historically, they have just reverted to their primary deterrent tactic of continuing to develop their nuclear weapons and their anti-ballistic missile systems. In the Senate Foreign Relations Committee a couple of weeks ago, heard from an expert in this area, and he was ad admonishing and pushing the Senate to reopen negotiations Otherwise, the North will continue to arm. In his opinion, the only time they have slowed down is when they felt there was a bilateral dialogue. Bilateral dialogue, that's sort of redundant, isn't it? There was a dialogue between the United States and North Korea. And can we get China to rein in North Korea? That's not working. And I'm sure the Chinese are thinking, what are we wasting all this time and effort on this little pipsqueak country other than as a, as a, a buffer between pro-American countries like Japan and South Korea? 
but China is so big. I, I mean, I guess they could be thinking that. Maybe there is that lingering paranoia within the Chinese military and some of the Communist Party members that the United States and Japan and South Korea and Taiwan are all going to gang up on her. It's hard to know. I mean, th these are countries forged in, in recurring military conflicts. Not that we haven't had our recurring military conflicts, but we haven't had that much internally, and they have. They've had a lot of internal conflict, a lot of invasions. Fortunately, we've only been invaded once, and that was by a, a meaningful invasion. That was by the British in the War of 1812. Yes, some Japanese troops made it in, onto some of the Aleutian Islands in the 1940s with World War II, but there wasn't much there, and they were quickly run off. And we don't believe in bringing war home. We like forward deployment. But the Chinese have not had that luxury. So will they put more pressure on, South, on North Korea to disarm? Well, when we work with the Chinese and the North Koreans in 2006 and 9 and 13, when we were working on this, they weren't working on their nuclear or missile capabilities in North Korea. But once they felt that there was no longer a dialogue, then they restarted. Can the North Koreans drive a wedge between China and the United States? That's a big if. Perhaps China just doesn't have as much influence over North Korea as we think they do. You know, the North Koreans have played the Chinese and the Russians against each other for their own benefit over the Cold War era, which ostensibly ended in the 1990s, ended after Ronald Reagan dared Gorbachev to tear down the Berlin Wall, which it did. And the Soviet Union broke up into Russia and a number of other states. And when the Soviet Union collapsed, the North Koreans warmed up to Japan and the United States and South Korea fearing that if it put all its eggs in the basket of China, it might not have the same flexibility that it had when there was a Cold War going on. I mean, these are people that really don't care about you and me and have limited concerns about their own people. So manipulation is going to be part of their policy. Not that we don't try to manipulate as well. We do from time to time but our best policy is to be open and honest and to say what we can and cannot do. And I think we do that better than most nations. And that's been part of our foreign policy for as long as I can remember, at least going back to Woodrow Wilson in World War I. Woodrow Wilson set the foreign policy for the 20th century and now we're in the 21st century, so now we need some new policies. We need some new thought. 
So normalization between the North and the South Koreans, a little bit of a thaw between the United States and North Korea so we can sit down and talk, some way to assure them that the Japanese are not going to come in and invade again because the Japanese have invaded the Korean Peninsula several times over the eons. And you say, yeah, it's a different time in history. The North Koreans don't know that. They don't realize that they're starting to wake up to it, but they're taking the most primitive approach, which is to arm themselves with nuclear weapons and pose as a threat in the belief that they're going to be taken over by a big power like the United States. And how do you counter that emotion? It's not easy. It is not easy. And it's so institutionalized, and they've been the hermit nation, the hermit empire, small one at that, for lo, these many years. And remember, Korea had been a hermit empire, a hermit kingdom, long before the 20th century. One of their emperors decided that they were becoming impure and closed off interaction with almost every country other than perhaps China to keep out the evil foreign influences. Now, the South Koreans aren't like that. Now, they're very cosmopolitan. Uh, they're very open to new ideas and people. They travel. Their kids are coming to school in the United States. Uh, we see them traveling in Europe and, and, and the Middle Americas. We see them all over the place in Canada. Everywhere we go to travel to Europe, there's always a group of Koreans, young Koreans generally, who are footloose and walking around town just like we are. We also see tour buses with older Koreans. I can't stand the Korean tour bus method. It's, it's just terrible. They drive a thousand miles in a day and you stop at each scenic spot or area of interest or old castle or whatever tourist attraction there is. And you got five minutes to get out and take pictures. They love that. They love that. Then they go home and they have all these pictures and they can show it to their families. It's so cute, but I wouldn't do it. Well, I'm Dr. Bill, and I'm going to grab a cup of Joe. I want you guys to do the same thing. I'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm Val Dior. By a unanimous vote, the U.N. Security Council approved new sanctions on North Korea, including banning exports worth over $1 billion. U.S. U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley says the U.S. drafted measure negotiated with North Korea's neighbor and ally, China, is aimed at increasing economic pressure on Pyongyang to return to negotiations on its nuclear and missile programs. U.S. military officials are calling off a search and rescue operation for three U.S. Marines missing after their Osprey crashed into the sea off the east coast of Australia. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, speaking to a town hall meeting, or at a town hall meeting, that is, has announced that she has no plans to run for president in 2020. And it'll be a sight to see when the sun, moon, and earth line up perfectly in the cosmos on August 21st for a total eclipse where the moon will completely blot out the sun. This is 
SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Dr. Bill for West Coast Radiology. Our good friends at West Coast Radiology offer convenient and comprehensive x-ray diagnostics, including open MRI, CT scan, CT PET, mammography, and ultrasound. With state-of-the-art equipment and four convenient locations, you're assured of friendly, comprehensive care. Most insurance is accepted and competitive self-pay rates, plus Saturday appointments. Call West Coast Radiology at 727-771-2795. That's 727-771-2795. With everything you've done to lift up those around you during your military career, we're not going to let your money concerns get you down. We're the NFCC, and we've got your back on this one. As your financial advocate, we're dedicated to improving the financial health of all members of the military community. Whether your debt issues are related to student loans or housing or involve credit cards, our goal is to help you to defend your financial future. NFCC certified credit counselors have already made the difference for thousands of military members and their families. Let us make a difference for you and yours. Schedule a confidential financial review with an objective nonprofit NFCC financial counselor. Call us today at 877-404-6322. That's 877-404-6322. Or visit us at nfcc.org slash military. You owe it to yourself. Get relief now. When is the best time to talk to your family about staying in touch during a disaster? When floodwaters reach your door? When wildfires are engulfing the edge of your neighborhood? Or an earthquake is destroying buildings? Or is the best time, perhaps, today? During a disaster, you may not be able to stay in touch with your family or friends as easily as you think. Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Good day, intervals of clouds and sunshine with a thunderstorm in the area late this afternoon, high 94. Tonight, a shower or thunderstorm in spots this evening, otherwise partly cloudy, low 78. Monday, clouds and sunshine with a thunderstorm in the afternoon, high 91. Rather cloudy Monday night, expect a low of 77. Tuesday, partly sunny, high 92. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Art Miller for AM860, The Answer. And I'm back. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD. A little bit of Led Zeppelin and the Stairway to Heaven, buying the Stairway to Heaven. I guess it's another woman in the life of one of the band members who thinks she can buy happiness. Uh, 
can use her money and her power to find some spiritual reality. It kind of reminds me of the situation that we're in with the North there, certainly with the North Koreans. By the way, we're talking about North Korea and what to do about the North Koreans, what our options are. Tough situation, tough situation. We've got South Korea and Japan, which together are a couple of hundred million people who are with an easy striking range of the South of the North Koreans. The North Koreans have short and intermediate range missiles that can certainly strike the neighborhood there. And they have several hundred of these missiles and it's not hard to make uh, an explosive to put a, a conventional warhead on, on one of these scud type missiles. The scuds are the similar design that the Iraqis used in the first war in the 1990s when we invaded to, not invaded, but actually we went in to push them out of Kuwait and to help Saudi Arabia secure its northern border with Iraq. And they launched Scud missiles at the Israelis and at some of the Allied troops that were going after them. They were not very effective, but it looks like North Korea is much more advanced than the Iraqis were 20 or 30 years ago in terms of their accuracy and their range. And now they have, we know, an intercontinental ballistic missile. We've seen that go up and down. I think it's a solid fuel missile, too. So it's, a, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty well-updated weapon system that they have. And they can hit people in the neighborhood. And they can now hit us. And once they put a nuclear warhead on it, they could hit almost anywhere in the United States. Would they do that preemptively? I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I, they, they may be psychiatrically disturbed, but I don't think they're insane. I don't think they're out of touch with the reality of the size of the United States and its ability to, to destroy the whole country in one strike. But I don't think we want to do that either. We would like to see some peaceful resolution. However, we have to be prepared. We're not dealing with healthy, honest, upfront people when we're dealing with the hierarchy in North Korea. I mean, this is a, a country that has been able to get enough capital to build their weapons system and their nuclear capabilities and their long-range ICBMs, and that costs money. How have they done it? Well, they've done it by criminal acts, by criminality, counterfeiting. And if you remember, in the 1990s, President Clinton was very upset about this and mentioned this in a couple of his speeches, that the counterfeiting had to stop. And we actually changed our, our money. Remember when we went from the old bills to the new bills, and now every time you go into a store with a $20 bill, the, the girl behind the counter or the guy behind the counter will take a marker and go across it and hold it up to the light and make sure that it's not counterfeit. That's because we had a lot of counterfeit bills floating into the United States made by North Koreans. 
Counterfeiting is a crime. It's a crime within the country of origin, and it's also a crime between most countries. So if we counterfeit euros, that's an international violation of law because we have agreed not to do that with all the countries that we are in relationships with, all the countries of the United Nations. Does that mean we don't do it? Well, in times of war, obviously, we're going to do whatever we have to do, and the president has supreme power if there's a declared war to order what needs to be done. Congress has tried to rein in some of those powers over the past two centuries, but still there's the ability to do a lot of things in wartime that we would not do in peacetime. But in general, we don't do that. The North Koreans have been involved in the drug trade business. And you say, where's the market? Where can they get stuff to market? They can get it through the, the Russians. They can go up through the, the little isthmus. Uh, actually, it's not an isthmus. It's this little piece of uh, Russia that comes down and touches the North Korean border. The North Koreans have submarines now. They can smuggle stuff in and out. They can be involved monetarily and never have anything to do with the actual handling of drugs or the distribution of drugs. They can be a financial backer and reap profits from that, which is a criminal act. They're exporting their nuclear and military technology. They're selling it to other countries that are interested in arming themselves against whoever. And there's a big trade in that. There's a big trade in, in weapon systems and nuclear capabilities. The Pakistanis were probably the first to wholesale export nuclear technology to countries around the world in the belief that they may someday be taken over by India or the United States might side with India in a war. And all these things come into play. And, you know, we don't think about that on a day-to-day -day basis, but there are a lot of interactions between nations that influence how people around the world behave and act in perceptions and misperceptions. And the exportation of nuclear technology in the international, legitimate international community has been banned. But we've banned drugs in the United States, and we still have a thriving underground drug trade. That makes it uh, tough if you have a negotiating party on the other side of the table who has no sense of a rule of law except the laws that they want implemented. There's trading going on between Iran and North Korea. And we know Iran's working on nuclear weapons. We know they want to be fully armed. We know they want to have hegemony over the Middle East. And the Arab world is not happy. And the North Koreans are helping them. One good thing that's coming out of all of this is we're seeing Saudi Arabia and some of the other smaller countries in the Middle East becoming more proactive and building up their military and being willing to work with partners like Israel 
to deter any threats from Iran in the area, to counterbalance the power, the power vacuum that, by the way, Jimmy Carter left when he walked away from the Shah of Iran back in the late 70s. We helped create this mess. And with idiots like Carter in charge of international policies, I mean, we were in deep trouble. We were in deep trouble, and we have continued to feel the effects of the incompetence of Carter and his advisors. We were pulled into two Gulf Wars so far directly related to Carter walking away from the Shah of Iran. Yeah, we can walk away from North Korea and the problem and let the South Koreans and the Japanese and the Chinese figure it out, but we help create it. And so we have some responsibility, in my opinion, to try to effect some kind of change, to try to effect a disarmament, hopefully a peaceful agreement between North Korea and the United States, North Korea and South Korea, North Korea and Japan, and hopefully get the country opened up as China did after the death of Mao and Nixon's visit in the 1970s to China. The thawing of relationships, the increased trade between our countries, and now China looks a lot like the rest of the world and acts a lot like the rest of the world. And the people seem to have morals and values, and they don't want to harm us. And you say, well, won't most of the North Korean people defect and run and not have anything to do with with the South? Yes, that's true. Sorry about that. My cell phone. And that's another problem that China is concerned about. What if they have millions of South Koreans flooding across their border in an attempt to escape the conflict that would befall the North if they were preemptive and struck the South or Japan or even tried to hit the United States with a weapon and hope for a negotiable peace in the belief that even though they would ultimately lose, the cost would be so great to the United States and her allies that we would not want a, another conflict on the, on the Korean Peninsula. A lot of possibilities. A lot of possibilities. So where do we go? A preemptive strike on our part would be costly. It would cost the lives of thousands of South Koreans. It would damage billions of dollars worth of property in South Korea. And I'm sure that the South Koreans are conflicted about what to do. There are those who want to go in and take them apart. And there are those who just want to ignore them and hope that they'll, over time, evolve into some kind of semi-rational state. All that is speculation because we're not quite sure what's going to happen. I mean, we've seen dynasties go on for hundreds of years. Historically, that's not new. 
We've seen despotic regimes that have lasted for the better part of decades, rather of centuries, have lasted for decades, the better part of centuries, like we saw in Russia with the Soviet Union and her leadership. Stalin lived a long time. He took over in the mid-20s, 1920s, and didn't die until the 1950s. And he was followed by leaders who were perhaps not as cruel and vicious as him, but certainly there was continued repression, and it took a couple of decades to dismantle their gulags and their, their, uh, their concentration camps for political dissidents. So one of the criticisms of our military strategists has been that there is too much short-term thinking. And this has been reiterated in studies by people at the War College, which is the Army's uh, university for graduate-level studies into war and war policies and diplomacy and a host of other avenues and aspects of federal government level activity in order to maintain our safety and secure friendships around the world. And, and the policies that I have read in the past few weeks reiterate the same thing that's been said since I was a kid, which is that we need to use our assets in a peaceful fashion to go out and reach out to those who need help and offer it and give it. And we think about Kennedy and his Peace Corps. I'm not sure how effective it was because I don't have the, 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 the data. I don't know how the countries felt that had our input, but certainly we are received warmly around the world. Wherever we go, my wife and I are amazed at how interested and how concerned people are about the United States and how much people want to be like the United States, and how much people envy the United States. And so maybe the thinkers at the War College have, uh, have a point. Does that mean that we retire our assets and all become true followers of Jesus and Buddha and be nonviolent? I don't think that's going to work. I really don't. Because there's still people out there who want to take advantage of the weak and the meek. What was it that Clint Eastwood said in one of his movies? Good must be very, very good if it's going to defeat evil. And evil is different from one person to another. But I think at a national level, we all agreed, left and right, that it would be an evil act to attack and harm us. Any of us. So from my point of view, I think that we need to make no bones about it that we're willing to arm Japan and South Korea, but also think that we have to let North Korea know and anybody who's an intermediary in discussions that we want to sit down and talk to him face to face. 
We need to know our enemy. We need to convince them that we are not their enemy and that our concerns are strictly our own and our allies' self-preservation. Yes, we'd like to see this abomination of a country be ended, just as we wanted to see the Soviet Union and the Eastern Bloc fall, and it was a good thing that it did fall. It's night and day. It's night and day between the old Soviet-style way of ruling Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union and what they have today. It is just, I mean, it's, it's so stark. It's so unbelievable when you go to a city like Prague and you see the beautiful buildings and the architectural magnanimity of the city that was built before the Soviet era, and then the gray drab Soviet era buildings and the utilitarian approach to everything. And I mean, it just, it's night and day the same way in St. Petersburg, St. Petersburg, Russia, same thing. So of course we'd like to see this abomination end, but if it's not going to happen anytime soon and we don't have the ability to take out the key leaders so that there is no head on the snake, so to speak, then we're going to have to do what we have been doing. At the same time, we have to make sure that we're protecting ourselves with anti-missile missile systems, and we have to help the South Koreans in any way we can. But we need to be open to what the North Koreans want and their concerns. If nothing else, it will give us a better insight into their regime, into how they think, and into what they are willing to do and what they want to do in the the short term. So I also agree with the thinkers at the War College who say that we need a long-term strategy. Sometimes you just can't have one because if you're dealing with an irrational situation, you have to improvise as you go. So it's... uh, it's, it's a tough but interesting situation, and it's a great time to be alive. And I know that this is not on the forefront of most people's concerns. I know that the bigger concerns are an effective government and the health care problem resolution. I'm not concerned about the health care problem resolution, at least not in terms of a solution that will take care of itself, and there will be, if nothing else, tweaking of Obamacare, although a lot of it needs to go. The spirit behind it was certainly uh, uh, wholesome and well-meant, but ill-thought-out and kind of kind of silly, really. But, you know, this idea that you can socialize a country and all of a sudden everybody's happier and living better is just nonsense. But we do need to provide for those who cannot provide for themselves. And that may be true when we, if and when we are able to open up North Korea. We may be in a position, a situation where we have some social responsibilities to a very devastated uh, populace and help them out. That's what we do. And that's a good thing. That brings us a lot of uh, goodwill throughout the world. And I'm always surprised when people come into my office from Germany or wherever and they say, we're so appreciative of you Americans that you're willing to go and do things without expecting anything in return. Well, I mean, we expect we expect trade agreements and that sort of thing, but we don't expect you to pay us 
Well, let's wind up at that today, and it's good being with you guys. I'll see you next week. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. Well, all right now, what do you think about it, folks? Here we go. Someone bid $100. There we go. $200, $300, $500, says. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 